Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to movies that don't have any. I'm Harry and joining me as always is John. Hello. And it's your pick this week, what did you do? No, it's not, it's your pick. Oh, we just talked about this. Yeah. Sorry, I keep getting them mixed up. Uh, yeah, it's my pick, I picked Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes, you did. Tell yes. us more. Uh, well, I hadn't actually seen this film, um, as we said at the end of the last episode, I haven't seen this film and you have. Mm-hmm. Um, probably was... why you thought it was one of my picks, to be fair. Yeah, I probably, just, yes. I have a much better taste in movies than you. I think we both acknowledge that. Oh, so. God damn. <laughs> I've seen much more. And yes. <laughs> you haven't seen Mermaids. I have not seen Mermaids, no. And I feel like I shouldn't now. I feel like it's become like a vendetta to never watch it. <sighs> it's a good film. Okay. Well, Win- we're not Winona Ryder. This week, but... she, she's always good. Well, if you want to bring it, make it an episode. But I didn't talk... realise Winona Ryder is in Alien 4. She is in Alien 4. Not one of her best roles, but she is in it. <laughs> it's not one of anybody's best roles. No, no, no. I don't think anyone puts that at the top of their CV, really. No, no. <laughs> it's on some I picked this film because I'd seen some things on YouTube that made it look interesting. I hadn't seen it, though. Mm-hmm. And I thought it might be a good pick for, for this podcast. I looked at it a little bit sort of zany, the bits I saw of it anyway. Yeah, and I, I did that. And so I've since watched it. And, well, uh, you would hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe one day I'll go in blind and just yeah. uh, come up with some kind of idea without actually watching the film. Okay. Um, so the, the initial part of our conversation quite one-sided, to be fair. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, maybe I'll just pretend that I've seen the film. Okay, yeah. And then only tell me afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Offline. I'll wait for it, yeah. <laughs> Eternal Sunshine. Great film. Yeah. Was it what you expected it to be? No. No. Not at all. Oh, I, I absolutely loved it as it started. Um, how you get introduced to all these other characters and just you don't know who's going to be a main character and who's not. And then just suddenly, ah, oh, that's Kate Winslet. She's probably a main character, isn't she? <laughs> well, I remember what happens in the intro. I thought the intro was just him on the train. It was just him. You see sort of a few shots of other people on the train. Looks, He looks at a few people. And oh, okay. I think there might have been one or two people on the beach and you didn't see that it was Kate Winslet on the beach. Oh, yeah, she's kind of in the background, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, she's very far away. Yeah. yeah. And he's talking about how he's shy mm-hmm. and he's sort of walking away from her as she's walking a little bit towards him. Yeah, and I, I quite enjoyed that. And the opening to it was just amazing. It was such a lovely little romance. Yeah. Which was great. And then how it ended with Elijah Wood. I was like, oh, he's in this. Great. <laughs> Turns out, not a nice character. No, oh, he is a creep in this film. <laughs> he is such a creep. His creepiest film yet? Yeah, I, but it did make me think he was very good as a creep. I feel like he Elijah Wood should play more kind of sex pests. Have you seen Sin City? Actually, haven't know. Is he a sex pest in that too? Yeah, more of a serial killer. But serial. Yeah. Okay, right, yeah. No, I feel like that could be his thing. Like, I think rather, I don't think he's very much a leading man apart from you no know, Lord Livings. Mm. I think slightly creepy is kind of his thing. Yeah, so, yeah, he, yeah. He played that very well. Yeah. yeah, I just really enjoyed how they kept introducing these characters, mm-hmm. um, which were very big actors. Not sure if they were at the time. When did this one come out? Uh, 2004, I believe. Okay. Yeah, because there's quite a few actors in this who have gone on to become oh, more well known than they are now. So that's peak Lord of the Rings time. Yeah, so Elijah Wood is post Titanic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. For Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Elijah Wood were at the peak of their fame. But then yeah. you've also got people like Mark Ruffalo, who was upcoming, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I would say. Was he even upcoming? Was he known before Avengers? He was known before Avengers. He was in no. Um, the. <laughs> no, he was he was in one. one of my favorite films, <laughs> which I forgot the name of now. You Can Count on Me with Laura Linney, okay. which is lovely. Sure. And I think he did do other things that were kind of well known, but I can't think mm. off the top of my head. But no, he wasn't as well known as he is now, obviously. And then also, um, David Cross has a very small role in this film who is now famous for the rest of development. He was the, he had a very small role in this. He was kind of like the friend of Joel and Clementine, the, the couple who kept fighting. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the guy who, he's the one who's like, I'm building a birdhouse. Oh, that guy. Yeah. He, yeah he's I recognised him. He's, he was in Men in Black, wasn't he? Well, most people would recognise him now for Arrested Development, which I still can't believe you've never seen. Sorry. But one day you will, and then you'll be like, oh him, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe one day. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. I feel like you're not watching out of spite because I've told you many times. <laughs> this, this is your mermaid's moment. Well, I did that with Rick and Morty for a while and then eventually you wore me down. Tell you what, let's have a night, you and me, where we will watch Mermaids and watch a mm-hmm. season of Arrested Development. We'll have a big big binge day all night. Season of Arrested Development. It'll take us about three hours, maybe. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like 30 minutes episodes. It's like maybe six or seven episodes. So. Oh, right. We could, we could do it in an afternoon. We could do it on a Sunday if you want. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Back to Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. What, what, what did you think of it? Well, I'd seen it before. So, yeah. I loved it. I, this is only, I is think, it like an old favourite? We've seen it a lot of times or is it? It's not. It's funny watching it now. I think this is only the second time I saw it. I watched it at the time or close to the time it came out and really liked it. Mm-hmm. And then watching it again this week, I thought, you know what? This could be a top 10 film for me, like an all time top 10 film. Like, I'd need to watch it a few more times probably for it to end mm-hmm. in that kind of echelon. Yeah, it's been my favourite before it's a top 10. Yeah, it? but in terms of how much it moves me and how good I think it is, mm-hmm. yeah, I would really put it up there. I think this is a beautiful... I thought it was really interesting that you said that you expected it to be zanier because actually, the uh, obviously any Jim Carrey film... You expect well, the bit that I saw on YouTube were some of the weird bits, but like in the kitchen... Oh, with Baby Joel. Yeah, yeah, that sort of stuff and it was Jim Carrey. I wasn't expecting like a Jim Carrey comedy. I knew it wasn't mm. that, but uh, yeah was expecting it to be very different to what it was yeah um, well, i only i only actually recognized it for being a much more serious film when i when you see that shot of them lying down on the ice mm. and it's like i've seen that poster everywhere yeah i don't know why i don't know where i've seen it but i recognize that shot of them lying on the ice and it's like the ice cracks and stuff yeah and it's a very good shot it's beautiful well first of all yeah because the fact that you expect it to be zany a i guess jim carrey always you go in expecting a level of comedy but also mm-hmm. The director, Michael Gondry, wasn't pleased with the poster that was used to promote the film because it made it look more like a comedy than the film actually was. So right. he felt like it misrepresented the film because yeah. it's a picture of Jim Carrey kind of gurning, like looking confused. And then mm. it, it just looks like a romantic comedy poster, which yeah. is not what the film is. Especially if it's Jim Carrey. Yeah. He's yeah, done, I've... what, like two non-comedy films? Exactly. Yeah. And this is the thing. I'm not a huge Jim Carrey fan in general. Mm-hmm. Like, I can recognize that he is one of the great physical comedians of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, I can totally recognize his talent. But for me... It's kind of like last week I was talking about how I'm not a huge fan of um, gross-out comedy particularly. Mm-hmm. I'm also, I think that extends to physical comedy in general. Mm-hmm. I can enjoy physical humour to a point. Like if it's a really good physical joke in a film that has other things going on. But films that really rely on very kind of 100% high-energy physical comedy tends to yeah. kind of exhausting. Yeah. So like stuff like Ace Ventura, The Mask, mm. I just struggle with it. It's not that I don't recognise them as good films, but they're just not to my taste. Mm-hmm. And when he goes into that full Jim Carrey, you know, somebody stop me, you know, <laughs> I tend to like zone out quite quickly. But this, he's so not that in this film. No, not at all. Even in The Truman Show, which I absolutely love, mm-hmm. he, there are times when he does slip into his Jim Carreyness, just once think, or twice. I think there might have been one time where he did it in this film. Some of the Baby Joel stuff, maybe, but that kind of worked because he was... No, playing. no, I don't think it was that. I think it was a bit where the two of them were just looking at a picture, a video. Mm-hmm. They were watching a silent film, that was it. Oh, yeah. And he was commentating over it. Oh, I thought that was super cute, to be fair. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. I thought it was really cute, but it yeah. felt like Jim Carrey kind of humour. It was like, I oh, guess where are those two children come from? They just popped out of your bum. Okay, a little bit, yes. I think it's more I don't like him when he's like screaming and gurning and being yeah. really... I don't, I don't mind him just being funny because he is naturally a funny person. Mm-hmm. But no, I really, really liked him in this because he was so introverted and he really played against type in a way that was mm. really effective. Mm. And yeah, it made me surprised that he hasn't really done much else since this that I can think of. Well... At all, but... So he's done stuff. He was in Kick-Ass 2 a few years ago. Yes, I guess he was. Didn't look like himself, though. It was really weird. I know after this... I'm surprised he didn't, he didn't do more kind of quote-unquote serious work. Yeah. I remember he was in a really bad-looking thriller. I think it was called The Number 23 or something. Yeah, yeah. It, like, bombed. And I think after that, he's only really done kids' films and action yeah. films and kind of... I don't think he's really done any of a... That I've seen, anyway, that have really... Take, they might have done some things that nobody ever saw. 
Yeah, I don't know if he's working less or he's just in less well-known films these days. But I'd, yeah. I'd like to see him in uh, some kind of superhero role, maybe in a Guardians of the Galaxy sort of thing. I could totally see that. Yeah, that that worked really well. I guess he's at that age bracket now where he'd play, play someone's dad, but I could oh, totally no. see that. He's too old to play like you know a, a Chris Pratt character. You know, yeah, he's like in his fifties. So yeah, but he could still be a little bit wacky. Yeah. Well, he has of course done the Riddler in Batman Forever. Yeah, but he was younger then, wasn't yeah, he? No, that's what I mean. But I'm just saying he has he has done the comic book universe. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Do I know you? Do you ever shop at Barnes and Noble? Sure. That's it. Yeah. I've seen you, man. Book slave there for like five years now. Oh. Jesus. I would thought I would remember five you. Five years. It might be the hair. What might? It changes a lot, the color. That's why you might not recognize me. It's called Blue Ruin. Right. Color. Snappy name, huh? I like it. I'm a big Kate Winslet fan, and I think this might be my favourite Kate Winslet performance. It was only halfway through before I noticed she wasn't British. Really? <laughs> like, hey, wait a minute, she's British. Why is she not British right now? You've seen her in, you've seen her in Titanic, I know we've done that episode. Yeah. But what else have you seen her in? Um, not sure, actually. No? Not sure of anything. I, I, I Actually, there's a lot of things. Like, um, Sense and Sensibility? No. Isis? No, no. Iris, not Isis. <laughs> she was not yeah. in Isis, the movie. Isis, the musical story. Kate Winslet. <laughs> Um, I can't think well she's been in that you might have seen. Oh, Contagion. Have you seen Contagion? Oh, yeah. I've s- no. No? no. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking of Outbreak. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah, I love her in this. And watching it back, I really appreciated the levels of what she was bringing. When you look at this film, you could re- the levels you could peel away of what's going on in terms of the storytelling mm. and, the, and also the performances is mm-hmm. incredible, especially with her character, because it kind of reminds me of Marion Cotillard's character in Inception Mal, mm-hmm. where a lot of the time the person on screen she's portraying is not the person yeah, but yeah. his memory of the person yeah. I found that really interesting because I feel like there's three different performances that she gives in this film there's the first 20 minutes when she's kind of quite abrasive mm-hmm. and to a point where I actually found her quite annoying because I've not seen the film in about 10 years I thought mm-hmm. oh is this how she's going to be all through the film I, I don't remember being this annoying in it and I was like oh, oh this is disappointing but then you realise and I did remember and it kind of clicked into place that that's after, after obviously she's had her memory wiped and she's obviously mm-hmm. very traumatised and mm-hmm. there's a reason she's like that and then you see in his, in his memories of her as well, she starts off with this being very abrasive and quite obnoxious. And because initially he has having all his bad memories of it, but then he finds the good memories. And then her performance just changes, and she becomes so warm and mm. funny and lovable. Yeah, the scenes with the ba- with baby Joel in the kitchen, I absolutely yeah. love because <laughs> she's so funny in those scenes. She's mm-hmm. just absolutely charming. And then at the end, you, you see a few more of like the the actual human being again, and you realise that. The real character of Clementine is obviously somewhere in between those things. Mm-hmm. There's the bad memories and the idealized memories that he has of them, and the real person is somewhere in between. And I mm-hmm. think she absolutely nails that, and it's so interesting to watch. And she, yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah, she's a brilliant actress. Just thought I've seen her in Steve Jobs. Steve, oh yes, of course you have. Yeah, yeah she's pretty good. How long did you, were you watching that before you realized she was not Polish? <laughs> <laughs> I would describe her wig work in this film as variable. So. <laughs> Some of the wigs were better than others, I would say. Oh, I, I never really thought about it. Yeah, to be honest. I mean, I know, obviously I noticed the different coloured hair. Yeah. I'm always on the lookout for a dodgy wig, you know me. And, mm-hmm. uh, there were occasions on this film. Because yeah, she couldn't dye her hair because they were shooting out of sequence. So she would have had to dye her hair multiple times per day. Yeah. Which, you know, she would have been bald. Yeah. So um, just, she had to wear wigs. And some of them were really good and some of them really like They've just been like, oh, quick, scene change, wig change. And mm. it's kind of funny. But yeah. That's just oh. me. You know, I love a wig, so. Yeah. <laughs> you should get one. 
Well, sure. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. I remember that speech really well. I had you pegged, didn't I? Yeah, the whole human race pegged. Hmm, probably. I was trying to imagine who else could have been in this film, again, casting-wise. Okay, yeah. Because Kate's wounds were so good, but I thought, because that character was just on the cusp of being like a manic pixie dream girl type. Like, she could have been really irritating. But I felt like, imagine if that was Natalie Portman or something. Oh, my God. Or Anne Hathaway. Like, it would have been insufferable. Like, Kate Winslet was so right for that role. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really a testament to her that the character is so rich. And that you really root for her. Even though there's not, not a lot of times when she's particularly sympathetic. I think that's really, really, yeah. She's she, she at this point she was won, won the Oscar for the reader a few years later. But this is the film I think she should have had the Oscar for of all mm. her performances. I think she's also said that this is her favorite performance that she's given. So oh yeah, so it's nice that we agree. Mm-hmm. Do you know who was originally considered for the Jim Carrey role? No, it's uh, it couldn't be better. <laughs> it is Nicolas Cage. Oh, of course. <laughs> that would have been a very different film. Yes, it would. Yeah. Yes. Nicholas Cage and Natalie Portman, the two Ooh. opposite people. Yeah. Well, she was never considered for this, but those. T- <laughs> okay. That, yeah. But that would have been quite a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, did you know this film? Vis- I already said how visually it looked really nice, and that shot over the ice, mm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Did you know there is virtually no special effect work in this film? There's, like, there's almost no CGI. Uh, well, that's how I found out about this film. Oh, really? From yeah. Reading uh, about the technical accomplishments of it. Well, yeah. I think I was watching a video that was films that you think would have CGI, but mm-hmm. actually don't. And it was this, and then it was comparing this to Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. with the effects that they, they did, which absolutely fascinating. Yeah, well, because this, in this one, there's a scene when Jim Carrey is in, in an office with himself, and instead of having an effect that shows two of him, he just had to like follow the camera and run between shots and like change clothes in like a split second, and then reappear really? and then give a performance. Yeah, but he's like lying down in a chair. Yeah, it's incredible that he had to do that. That's the that's what they put him through, and yeah. What? Yeah, but the the director Michael Gondry was deliberately attempting to disorient Jim Carrey at all points to kind of add to that performance, that level of confusion. <laughs> like you know, the even scene... on scenes like that. Yeah. Oh my god! Like for instance, do you remember the circus scene with the elephants? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In that, well, first of all, that scene wasn't in the script. They just happened. They were shooting on a day when there was a parade, and they were like, "Let's let's incorporate this." Mm-hmm. And then Michael Gondry told Kate Winslet to disappear without telling Jim mm-hmm. Carrey, and so. His reaction in that is natural. He, apparently, he actually says "Where's Kate?" But they had to like mute it. But you can, yeah. if you read his lips, he's saying "Where's Kate?" He's like, <laughs> so that level of like bewilderment because he's like wandering through his own memory and that yeah. kind of like abstract feeling is was brought out of him by the direction, which I think is really clever. Wow. Yeah. Also, I thought it was funny the scene at the beginning when Kate Winslet punches him. He didn't oh, yeah. expect. So his reaction then is totally genuine. <laughs> Great. She did not tell him she was going to punch him. So. <laughs> He looked so sort of offended by it. Yeah, exactly. You know he was pissed. Yeah. You know he was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> I do also want to talk a little bit about the cup. The cup? Did you notice the cup with Kate Winslet's face, on, with Clementine's face on it? No. Oh, this was a constant source of fascination for me for the film. What? So there's multiple shots of this cup with a picture of Clementine on it, and it's kind of a, a recurring theme of things that remind Jim Carrey, Joel, of Clementine. So, mm-hmm. you know, he brings some objects that remind you of Clementine. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that shows up is a cup with her face on it. And I was like, huh, who would drink out of a cup with a girlfriend's face on it? That is obnoxious. That, that feels like odd. And then the cup shows up again in a memory of the two of them together. Mm-hmm. And she's drinking out of the cup. <laughs> and I'm like, 
So she's drinking out of a cup with her own face on it. That's oh, I next, did notice that. That's next level narcissism. I noticed it at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I, 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 yeah, I was fast. I had a lot of questions about that cup. If you said mug, I might have got it. Oh, okay. Sorry. Are <laughs> you thinking in the American terms? A mug is with a handle and stuff. A cup is more like your little plastic thing that you get in IKEA really? or something. I don't think of a cup as a cup. What about a tea cup? It's not a tea mug. Oh, but a tea mug would actually be like a thermos. Oh, sure. fair enough. But that'd be more like a thinner, kind of, kind of like a bone china sort of thing. Yeah. I think we should save this for our um, etymology podcast, to be fair. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, now, we've talked a little bit about Elijah Wood already, but I want to talk a little bit more about Lacuna Incorporated, the business characters of Tom Wilkinson, Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood and Kirsten Dunst, who mm-hmm. are the people who are in charge of the, mem- the memory wiping corporate. Because yeah. they felt like they were in a completely different film. But what was their business called again? Lacuna Inc. Lacuna Inc. Yeah. Doesn't ring any bells. Sure. But do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So you know they were the co- think... they ran the company that did yeah. the memory wiping thing. Didn't you feel like they were in a very different film a lot of the time? Yeah, I did actually. Watching their scene, because I, I often like try and take notes when I'm watching the film, so I'll have, mm-hmm. I know what to write about afterwards. Uh, watching the scenes with them, I wrote down the phrase "unprofessional work environment" about seven times. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yeah, just things like people chatting boo just <laughs> right from around the corner. Like, what's that? Who's doing that? Exactly. Well, just the scene when they're in Joel's house and. I got so much anxiety by how kind of laissez-faire they were being with it, with literally performing like brain surgery, I guess, yeah. on a man. And they're literally like, dan- they're getting stoned, they're dancing in the underwear, he's just leaning over and mashing buttons. I, I, it made me really anxious. I was like, he yeah. could die. Like, <laughs> like what, what, what if they accidentally knocked him out of the machine? Yeah, exactly. It was so, yeah. That whole section was it, very it, upsetting. It did, it did stress me out. Yeah, definitely. Weird. Also, what, what, why were there three of them there at that point? Why do they need like Elijah Wood to be there, and then he had to go? And also, this company seemed so sort of dark and sort of, you know, it's like not in, not in the books. They're just. It felt like a business model with a lot of flaws. <laughs> yeah. Remember the Alamo. Remember the Sabbath day, and keep it holy. But why remember a destructive love affair? Here at Lacuna, we have perfected a safe, effective technique for the focused erasure of troubling memories. Our patented non-surgical procedure will rid you of painful memories and allow you a new and lasting peace of mind you never imagined possible. Don't forget, with Lacuna, you can forget. Okay, here's a question for you I wanted to ask. Okay. Would you, is there anything you would choose to have erased from your memory? Oh, that's a really good question. Oh, I should have asked this before if I can give it some thought. Yeah, so. Uh, I think that bit, uh, just before we started this podcast, <laughs> uh, you, you told me that you masturbated recently. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> There's context, people. I have a broken shoulder. It's, it's been a long time. Um, yeah, that's my choice. That's your choice. Okay, but nothing other than that. No. Uh, you? No, because I think that if, the, if there's a moral to this film is that, you know, the experiences we have, whether they're good or bad, I feel like we need to live them and own them and not try really? to. Mm. Yeah, I think so. However, there are things I would erase from other people's memories. Just not my own. <laughs> Go on. I'm going to leave it at that. Oh, come on. <laughs> there's at least three for you. But like... oh. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, no, no, I think this film, if anything, can, <clears> I, it doesn't come down in favour of that for me. It's yeah, kind of... yeah. It's kind of horrifying, like the scene when he's losing her and he realizes he doesn't want this anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really very it's upsetting. Quite intense. Yeah, it is. It's very, very tense. But yeah. So on the whole, you enjoyed this one, I'm guessing. Yes, I yeah. really did. I um, loved it. 
Love and I agree it. with you how it could be a top 10 film, but yeah. I need to watch it more than once. Yeah, I would happily watch it a third time in yeah. not the not-too-distant future. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so uh, I believe it's your turn first. Mm-hmm. So it is. So, this week, my sequel is called Eternal Winter of the Wandering Mind. Okay. Do you have okay. a title for yours, by the way? Yes. Oh, good, cool. Um, <laughs> so, my sequel does not involve Clementine and Joel at all, actually. Okay. Because I felt like their story... I didn't need to go back to it. Yeah, I see, feel like their story was see, complete. I, I, I'm the same. Really? Yeah. Okay, I wonder if we've done a similar <clears> thing here. I don't think so. Okay, fine. I really don't think we have. Actually, to be fair, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, stop me if this, if this sounds familiar. So yeah, those so those characters felt like they had an arc that made sense to me and I didn't feel like I needed to take them any further. Yeah, same. So the characters <clears> that I was fascinated by, as I mentioned, was the Lacuna Inc. people. Mm-hmm. So the people who were involved in the memory wipe. Because like, how did they get that job in the first place? And, mm. you know, what other mishaps befell them? Mm-hmm. Which is a film in itself, but not the film that I've come up with. So my film mm-hmm. is actually a sequel. And it's set about 10 to 15 years later. So obviously the mm-hmm. film came out in 2004, so that's about right. So roughly the present day, I would say. Mm-hmm. And Lacuna Inc. went into liquidation shortly after Mary, the Kirsten Dunst character, returned the tapes to all the customers. And Howard and Stan, which is uh, Tom Wilkinson and Mark Ruffalo, mm-hmm. end up going to jail for um, malpractice. Because mm-hmm. I don't think that company was legal by stretch of the imagination it felt so medically unethical like, yeah so so, so they, they, they've gone to jail for my practice and mary has you know gone on and lived her life mm-hmm. uh, so the character we're following in the story is patrick the elijah wood character oh, is, right. my, i find to be the most interesting of all the characters oh, i was hoping you'd go that route yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm not thinking not predictable is uh, uh, there's going to be a dark story like normal then it has some darkness to it. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Um, okay. Let's you know, we'll see. No. Light and shade. <laughs> light and shade. Okay. So basically, in my story, after the company collapsed, Patrick struck a deal with Howard and Stan, he, in which he would destroy the evidence. He would destroy all the mm-hmm. technology in return, and in return, they would not name him mm. in the loss when they were being sued. Yeah. So there's, if he destroys the evidence, then they're likely to get a lesser sentence or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so in return, he will, you know not be part of it at all so he gets to basically fly under the radar because mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure there's not much paperwork going on i don't think there's much of a paper trail like i said it feels like a very dodgy company mm. so but instead of doing that he actually stole the technology mm. and fled to new mexico oh where he set up his own highly illegal memory wiping consultancy yes and this is very much an underground affair compared to lacuna which was very kind of like bright offices like he's this is a very cd kind of you know black market kind of thing he's running mm-hmm. so people have to find out about it and then approach him and having learned nothing from his experiences with Clementine, he's basically used mostly using the technology at first to kind of target kind of desperate women who like want to get over breakups. And then once he's erased their memories, he uses those memories to manipulate his way into their lives. Okay. Exactly like he did with Clementine because mm-hmm. he's a creep. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, because I thought that was a really interesting plot point in the film, the way he did that to her. Mm. And I thought it was really well done the way he, it was almost poignant. He was obviously a very kind of lonely and, you know, awkward person and also a creep i don't feel sorry for him in that sense yeah but like he was obviously really trying to create the perfect environment for her to fall in love with him like by literally recreating moments from her love mm. affair with joel but and i thought the scene where she where he's lying on the ice with her was so good because he literally word for word repeats what he said yeah, yeah. and yet instead of being romantic it's just horrifying yeah and it's horrifying for us and i think you can i think there's a version of the film where you had a character who's very suave who could pull that off and that could be a different kind of horrifying mm-hmm. but because it's because she it's horrifying for her too she instantly is repulsed by it mm-hmm. it doesn't work and something strikes in her memory and and i think that's really interesting i think that i think that's a really good way of showing that you can't force people to fall in love with you you know mm-hmm. that kind of it's just not doable and it's, it's what he's doing is so manipulative and i thought it was i just thought it was really good i thought there's so much so yeah. that really gave me 
inspiration for this really i thought i want to see what would that character do after that carry on then so as i said yeah that was a bit of a sideline but <laughs> targeting these women now yeah to erase so they'll come to him and have their memories erased in the old but uh this as with clementine it never works for very long he can never keep a relationship going because they inevitably are repulsed by him and consequently he's consumed with like bitterness and resentment he just mm-hmm. hates women at this point because he just mm-hmm. feels like he, he's not very good at self-reflection he's not learning anything from this he's just he just becomes to just hate women generally. It's mm-hmm. so a nasty little piece of work. Anyway, one day he receives a surprising visit in the form of a famous local author who has been writing a series of popular fantasy novels for some time. Is this an existing author? Like it in may, the real world? It may be. Okay. It, it, shout out if you guess who it is. So he's been writing a series of popular fantasy novels for the past 20 years or so. And they've recently been adapted into a big hit TV series. Knew it. You figured it out. Yeah. However, he hasn't been able to complete the next book in his series for quite a number of years. Uh, and he blames the intense pressure from his hardcore fans mm-hmm. who keep sending him so many of their own ideas and like, mm-hmm. you know, demands and threats, like you need to finish this book before I die and mm-hmm. all this or before you die. It's just constant pressure to finish yeah. this book. And it's consequently, he's completely blocked. He's got massive writer's block. He's just unable to come up with any original ideas because he can't distinguish between his own ideas and the ideas that people are sending to him and the well, pressure we, that he's under. should uh, hire out us. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we'd be pretty good at that. Well, if he tied at us instead of um, Elijah Wood, this might have had a happier ending, but uh, <laughs> as you will see. Oh, no. So, this man offers Patrick a great deal of money to go into his brain and erase all memory of his fans, leaving him free to continue his writing. It's yes. like a, he wants a mental clear-up, basically. So, at this point, it's kind of important to reveal who this guy is. So, I'm going to let you... Give it, I'm pretty sure you It's George R.R. Martin. It's George R.R. Martin. I'm sure everyone who's listening figured out it's George R.R. Martin. Writer of Song of Ice and Fire, the yeah, TV the game show Game of Thrones. Yes, exactly. So, this is George R.R. Martin. So, being a massive geek, much like you, Patrick instantly <laughs> recognises George R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. but he pretends not to because he wants the job. And he feels like if he fans out about it, then he's not going to get the job. Yeah. So he, pret- he pretends he doesn't know who he is and he says, yes, that's fine. So just like with Joel, they arrange that Martin will go home, take his pill, fall unconscious, and Patrick will be given the security clearance to enter his mansion and mm-hmm. go in and do complete the operation. So, Wait, do you think that in in the film, they were told that somebody was going to come in in the night in their own home and do something. Or do you think it was, like, you take this pill, this will wipe your memory as yeah, as, as you want, and it's just a sleeping pill? No, I think, I, I felt like jo- Joel knew what was going to happen. He knew that they were going to come I in think so, and, did, and essentially break into his house. Did, I don't think they did break in, though. Did not, they not use a key? I, I, feel, yeah, I feel no. I feel like that was the arrangement. Because mm-hmm. otherwise that feels like a bit of a step too far. Why wouldn't they just do it in their office otherwise? I, no, I feel like he knew because he didn't seem terribly surprised that they were in there. I think he was surprised once he realised he wanted out that he couldn't get out. But I don't think there was ever a sense mm. of shit, there's people in my house. Sure, sure. So no, yeah. I, it, well, I interpret it's interpretation, but yeah. I interpreted it as that was part of the mm-hmm. deal. So anyway, in my version, that is how it works. So mm-hmm. George R. R. Martin has taken the sleeping pill. He lives alone in my version. Mm-hmm. Elijah Wood has got the you know, security key clearance. He's got keys. He knows where to go. So he enters George R. R. Martin's you know, private mansion. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, begins undertaking the procedure. However, while he's inside George R. R. Martin's brain, mm-hmm. and he's doing, he's looking for all the memories, and he's supposed to just be deleting fan stuff. But being a big, you know, Game of Thrones geek, and also having being someone who doesn't really respect people's boundaries very much, mm-hmm. he can't resist rooting around in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wants to. So he wants to find out some, you know, Game of Thrones spoilers. He wants to. He's essentially seek, looking for that like fabled final chapter, of the final book. Yeah, because he feels like. That'll, that'll, as a geek, he wants to know, but also he feels like that'll make him a big hit with the ladies. Because <laughs> what's making a hit with the ladies in Game of Thrones? Spoilers. So, yeah. yeah. So he's rooting around, rooting around, and he becomes very distracted. But to share that with the ladies, he needs to share everything that he does. 
I don't think he thinks things through very much. No, I didn't no. send this character has it, which <laughs> yeah, is a, you know, fair enough. long game. So he's rooting around, rooting around. He becomes very distracted. And so while he's rooting around in George R. R. Martin's brain, he fails to notice that there's a powerful electrical storm gathering outside. Okay. Like thunder and lightning and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so, and then just as he's just on the cusp of get, going to the deepest recesses of George R. R. Martin's brain, the house is struck by lightning, causing a massive electrical surge that causes all the machinery to short circuits. Mm-hmm. Patrick is unhurt because he's not actually mm-hmm. inside George R. R. Martin's brain. He's just mm-hmm. the computer. So he sees okay. But George R. R. Martin's brain is instantly fried. Like leaving him, he's alive, but all of his memories are instantly erased. And he's just basically a conscious vegetable. Like okay. He has no memory of anything. Yeah. Every memory he ever has is just gone. Doesn't know who he is, what he is, mm-hmm. nothing. So this leaves Patrick in a bit of a bind. You know, he's, if anyone finds out what's happened, he's going to go straight to jail. You know, it could easily be traced back to him. Mm-hmm. So, however, given that he's managed to download so much of George R. R. Martin's personal information he also has a bit of an opportunity here so what he does is the first thing he does after locking you know martin in in his bedroom mm-hmm. you know, as he's alive he's just kind of you know a bit of a vegetable mm-hmm. so he kind of locks locks him away and then he logs onto martin's computer and writes up a blog saying that he because of all the pressure to finish his novel he's decided to go into complete seclusion he'll no longer be going to any kind of public events he won't be appearing in public until this mm-hmm. book is finished and he appreciates nobody contacting him he's also going to turn his phone off He's only going to communicate via email from now on. Yeah. So you post this blog, which seems fairly plausible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he does that. And then that means that he's now able to kind of basically enjoy a life of luxury, living in George R. R. Martin's, you know, big mansion. He's a rich guy. Okay. Uh, and just, he's, so he's throwing parties, he's hiring hookers. You know, he's basically, he's basically living on George, on George R. R. Martin's wealth and just manipulating it. What, who's he saying he is? Is he George R. R. Martin's son or something? Like, why is he in his mansion? Oh, we'll get to that. So basically he's... Well, when he's hiring hookers, I don't think the hookers really care. But um, <laughs> I don't feel like he has a lot of friends. He's not hiring yeah. his actual... He's not bringing actual friends and he's just hiring people mm-hmm. to come and you know, party with him. Yeah. So it's mostly just drug dealers and hookers, I think, who yeah. probably don't really care. Uh, but yeah, basically, he's telling people that he is George R. R. Martin's personal physician and close personal friend. Mm-hmm. Like, closest confidant. That's the, the party line with this. So for a while, he's able to live this life of relative luxury. But then... He also does have to, because Martin isn't dead, he does have to also act as kind of his personal nurse. Mm-hmm. He has to like feed him, clothe him, all that kind of stuff, which he kind of resents, but he doesn't want to kill him because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that, that would be make, make it much harder to make, to keep the illusion going. Mm-hmm. So also he manages to teach Martin a single phrase just in case anyone, he needs to wheel him out, you know, for any, just to prove he's still alive, you know. So the phrase he teaches him to say is winter is coming. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. That's yeah, his yeah. catchphrase. So if any, when everyone's ever like, no one's seen him in months, you know, the police, whatever, and he's like, so he just wheels him out and he'll just go to the front door and say, winter is coming, and they'll go back inside. <laughs> and that's the idea. So that's the ruse. I like it. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So after a few months of this, uh, the demands for the next book become very, very strong because it's, you know, it's getting longer and longer and longer with mm-hmm. nothing. <clears throat> and so Patrick's starting to fear he's going to be discovered because the agents are kind of puzzled by the fact that Martin's no longer making any public appearances. Mm-hmm. The fans are demanding, you know, more answers, whereas the book has many progress on the book, much like in real life. You know? mm-hmm. So he needs to do something. So using Martin's downloaded memories that he still has stored away, yeah. he decides to write the book himself. Okay. Using the rough plot that Martin did have already in his mind mm-hmm. and then filling in the gaps himself, basically. So that's his plot. Yeah. And so he does that and he spends a few months, he writes, writes the book and it's finally finished and it gets scheduled for publication. And obviously this causes a massive media sensation because this is the first new George R.R. Martin Game of Thrones book in like when was the last one released? Like two thousand seven. I have no idea. It's Sorry. been like a decade. Mm. So this is it's like the biggest publishing event since like the seventh Harry Potter novel or something. It's mm-hmm. just a huge, huge deal. So there's obviously high demand for Martin to now publish the book, mm. but he can't do that obviously because mm-hmm. that would give the game away. 
So Patrick writes another blog posing as Martin online saying that he's all his promotional activities are going to be carried out by his physician and personal friend, Patrick. Mm-hmm. So, and this is kind of like, <clears throat> do you remember towards the end of Michael Jackson's life, he got friendly with that weird doctor who ended up killing him? Nope. Like, well, that happened. Okay. Um, so it's kind of that. It's kind of this idea of this super celebrity being kind of manipulated by a, you know, quote unquote doctor who's not really a real doctor. Yeah. And so this is Patrick being that guy who's speaking on behalf of mm-hmm. George R. R. like almost like a Svengali character. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens. It's basically... He, Patrick, goes out on the road, does loads of interviews on behalf of George R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. promoting the book, talking about you know, everything. And obviously this sends the rumour mill into overload, but it turns Patrick into an instant celebrity, which, you know, being mm-hmm. a yeah. kind of a bit of a lonely, bit of a weirdo, he, even though it's not necessarily a very po- positive thing, he embraces it. Yeah. He loves it. He's out there. He's getting lots of attention from interviews, celebrity parties, comic book conventions, all those places. So, however, so the novel is eventually published. Unfortunately, it receives horrible reviews because critics and fans are like just a poor because even though they characters and the plot twists are basically the same there's just something's not right you know the writing isn't there the book is it's empty it's charmless it's lacking in authenticity yeah so this is, this is kind of the idea is that it's writing a novel is much like you know having a relationship you can't fake oh, it i was gonna say uh, uh talking on a podcast but sure what i was gonna say talking on a podcast but uh sure in yeah. what sense writing a book is like talking about oh in terms of what we do yeah yeah no but in terms of commenting on why this doesn't work for him the idea is it's like it's much like why he failed with clementine is why he's failed at writing this book because he's mm-hmm. trying to be use somebody else's talents or somebody else's personality and for his own yeah. gain, and it's not it, it can't be done. It just can't be done. Yeah. So yeah. So it just gets horrible reviews and there's immediate backlash and huge amounts of negative attention now fall on Patrick because it's like who is this guy who's been promoting George R. R. Martin's work on his behalf? And since this happened, his his talent has just gone right downhill. Mm. Something's fishy here. Mm-hmm. So because Nars Martin hasn't been seen in public for a long time. There's, there's a lot of questions. The questions are building and building and building. And the situation is now very hostile. So Patrick kind of flees back to Martin's mansion to go into hiding again. Pursued by the paparazzi who are kind of gathering around because they want a statement. They, want mm-hmm. a, they, want, they really want a statement from Martin at this point because they're sick of hearing from this Patrick guy. They really want something from Martin other than winter is coming. Yeah. So he flees back to the house uh, where he's horrified to find that somebody else has, has already got in mm-hmm. and actually Martin's been released from his bedroom slash prison. Oh. And he comes downstairs. Any guesses? <gasps> oh, oh, um... No. No, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Pay attention. Uh, <laughs> so he comes downstairs and he finds Mary, as in the Kirsten Dunst character. Ah, of course. Yes. Yeah. So she's sitting, sitting in the living room mm-hmm. next with George R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. who's still basically a vegetable, but she's obviously kind of led him downstairs. Mm-hmm. And she says, she saw him on TV, instantly put two and two together. Like, you know, she remembers him from when he was part of the yeah, lacuna yeah. thing. So he, she knew exactly what was going on very quickly. And so she tracked him down. And discovered that she was right. You know, you've you've wiped the mind of America's most beloved novelist. You know, mm-hmm. so she said she's the police are on their way, and he's going to go to prison for a very very long time. Basically, mm-hmm. so she's the hero. Mm-hmm. So as the sound of police sirens kind of begins to blare outside the house, all these years of resentment and failure and humiliation kind of just build up on Patrick, and he just goes into a complete rage and he grabs a authentic Valerian steel dagger from Martin's <laughs> collection of authentic Game of Thrones memorabilia. Yeah, and he lunges at Mary. Mm-hmm. So in return, she grabs an authentic Game of Thrones crossbow from the wall. <laughs> and, and they begin a violent struggle in which both are fatally wounded. Okay. So, you know, he, he stabs her, she crossbows him. They both die. Yeah, so basically they're lying on the floor, kind of bleeding out, breathing their last. Mm-hmm. And just at that moment, the police burst into the room and where they just find a very confused George R. R. Martin standing over two corpses in a very Game of Thrones-y kind of scene. <laughs> I was trying to recreate kind of the Red Wedding kind of thing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then so, that, so the police are like, Mr. Martin, what happened? And he, his reply, of course, is, winter is coming. Boom. Credits roll. 
<laughs> well, that's a pretty solid ending. Yeah. Yeah, I struggled with that ending for a while, but I feel like I found I figured I'd just cut him off. Yeah, I basically just wanted to have Red Wedding style kind of like Game of Thrones everybody dies kind of ending. I yeah. Don't know. So yeah. Any questions? Oh um yeah, so Oh uh, really? Yes, actually. Uh so what happens in this uh, new Game of Thrones book? Um I'm interested oh. to know. <laughs> um Arya comes out as a lesbian. Oh. Yeah. Um, Does she have a girlfriend? Yeah, let's say Brienne of Toph. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly spat out my beer over all our equipment there. They have, um, they've had some scenes together. <laughs> I felt that romantic tension. Uh, yeah, and let's say that um, Cersei decides she doesn't really like being the queen anymore and she just becomes a civil servant. She decides that opposite of the quiet <laughs> life. And Jamie Lannister becomes a go-go dancer. Tyrion quits alcohol. No, no, that's too far-fetched. Yeah, that's the only question I've got, sorry. Okay, Okay, well, I guess it's my turn. Mine is a crossover um, with uh, something else, and I want to see if you can guess what that something else is based on the title that I've got here. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm ready. Hit me. So the title is Eternal Moonlight of the Spotless Mind. Is it a crossover with Moonlight? Yes. (laughs) Wow, okay, that's conceptual. (laughs) Well, I thought that these films actually have a lot of similarities. I guess they kind of do, yeah. That's good. As soon as you think about it, like, yes, they do. And so I actually came up with this last night okay. when I was midway through watching Alien 4. Um, <laughs> Three films that are so often together in many people's minds. <laughs> Alien, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Moonlight. Um, yeah, I was midway through watching it. I was trying to think about this, and then suddenly... Well, I was thinking about the title. Just like, okay, what's the opposite? What's the opposite of sun, moon, moonlight? Ah... Hmm. I came up with that instantly, turned off Alien 4 and watched Moonlight again. Um, and so I was a bit of a follow-up to our bonus Oscars episode from a few episodes back. Moonlight's really good, isn't it? You did like it better the second time then, yeah? Big time. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad. <laughs> don't know what happened the first time. I just Maybe I didn't have enough energy or something. But mm. man, that's a good film. Again, though, to switch from halfway through Alien 4 straight into Moonlight, that's quite something. Yeah, well, it was easy because, <laughs> you know, one's good, one's not. Well, true, yeah. Um, okay. I actually had a similar thing. Actually, my idea came initially from looking for a title and Eternal Sunshine. I was like, what's what's the opposite of sunshine? Summer, summer, winter, winter is coming. Game of Thrones. And it all came from there, really. So. <laughs> Great. I like word association. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, go on. I'm really um, intrigued by this. So, Eternal Moonlight, The Spotless Mind. Okay, go um, on. Uh, I'm hoping that it's not, it doesn't peak with the title. Okay. Maybe it will, though. So, <laughs> you know, prepare yourself. Okay. So, we start off with Chiron. Um, yeah. The oldest version, that was the one played by uh, Travante Rhodes. Yes. Looked up all the actors. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just going about his day, driving in... Was it Atlanta he finished in? I can't remember. Oh, I know he moved city, wasn't he? I mean, he moved somewhere else. Oh, well. Um, also, was he a drug dealer at the end? I think it was implied that he was working as a... Or had been a drug dealer or something. Yeah. It was... He'd been in prison for some for something, so... Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. It's been a while since I've seen it. So let's say that those two things are fact. Okay, so he he's was, not Atlanta, he's a drug So he was driving around Atlanta, um, listening to gangster rap, just driving around, going going to the street, selling drugs, mm-hmm. buying lottery tickets, just all these things that he does on his regular day-to-day. He's getting bored of it. Okay. And so then one morning he wakes up and says, today will be different. Okay. But he probably says it in a different way. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, don't impersonate other races. <laughs> <laughs> and so he gets in his car and he drives off. He leaves the city. And in fact, he drives to Miami. Okay. And at Miami, well, one thing he's got to do while he's there, he's got to go to the beach. Yes. 
And so he goes to the beach. And Is he still dating that other guy in this version? Uh, no. No, okay. Yeah, he's at the beach, just walking there by himself. He sees somebody else there, but he's too shy to go and talk to them. Okay. So, yeah, he's quite unsure of himself. He's not very, he's not very confident. Uh, the day goes by, he spends a lot of time just by himself walking about, and he, he goes to drive home. On the way, he sees a hitchhiker at the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And he's been telling himself all day that he really needs to meet some new people and just try and sort of throw himself into these social situations that make him awkward normally. So he pulls over and the person who's hitchhiking is, in fact, Kevin, the guy oh. from Moonlight. Oh, his, his kind of boyfriend from the yeah. movie. Yeah. Okay. They don't recognise each other. Oh, I see. I see what's going on here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so th- uh, they have no memory of each other. They have no memory of the events of Moonlight, okay. essentially. Yeah, and so while Charon doesn't do much talking, he's really antisocial, and so Kevin does most of the talking. He's talking about how he used to be a chef, and he's he's got this kid that you know he, he doesn't see that often. He's uh, he's got to pay child support on, but you know, it's, sorry, he does get to see him every now and then. It's nice. They're just having a nice time, enjoying each other's company, um, and then a car breaks down. Mm-hmm. So they pull over at the side of the road. Um, it's been getting dark, by the way, like it's early evening now. So they have to pull over at the side of the road. And, well, the car won't go anywhere. So Tryron looks at the engine. He can't work it out. He calls a uh, recovery driver. And mm-hmm. the guy says, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm the nearest one to you. And I don't operate through the evening. I'll have to come and get you in the morning. And so, oh, no, I've got to, got to spend the night out here in the woods. What could possibly happen? Uh, <laughs> and so Kevin's like, oh, we, do you want to go and have an explore or something? Maybe get a campfire going, something like that. And mm-hmm. Tryron's just saying yes to everything at this point because... It's too socially awkward to say no to anything. And so they go and have a, have a little walk. Tyrone's got some blankets with him. And they come across this clearing. It's really nice. There's a little pond there. It's reflecting the moonlight. And they start a campfire. And, well, one thing leads to another. It all, it all goes the way that you're expecting it to go. Which is lovely. And so they then wake up in the morning with Tyrone's phone ringing. It's the recovery driver saying, I'm here. Um, I'll buy your car, I think. Um, where are you? Uh, and so they come and they go and the guy actually fixes it very quickly. Um, he just happens to have the right part. And so they drive back to uh, Atlanta or wherever I said at the start. And he drops Kevin off. They say goodbye. And that's it. And then that's when we get the intro credits. Ah, okay. Because I did notice that in yeah, that's Sunshine, 18, they came mi- 18 in. minutes in of the intro <laughs> credits. So that's ridiculous. Really yeah. yeah, so that happens. Um, then we cut to Charon talking to Teresa. Mm-hmm. Um in her house. Uh, oh, that's Janelle Monáe's character, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. Oh, every time I think of her, I'm thinking of... Uh, uh, Hidden figures? No, I'm just thinking of uh, uh, Mahashala Mahashala, Ali's Ali, yeah. Like his... That was another great pronunciation of his name. Oh, Mahashala. I, well, I, I read it. Maharaji Mahashala. Hey! <laughs> Taj Mahal Ali. Oh, come on! <laughs> Not fair. But man, that, char- that character's story was a bit tragic. Yeah, it was, yeah. Felt really sad both times watching it. I think. Mm. Anyway, instead of talking, they're just hanging out, and then he notices there's a, um, a piece of paper that's come through in the mail that he just catches. Uh, he catches his name on it, mm-hmm. and it says that uh, Kevin Brown. I just made up a surname because he doesn't have one. Um, and you went with Brown. It, it's it's <laughs> a real surname. <laughs> the only other things I could think of were. Uh, Things like Smith, but then I thought, oh no, Kevin Smith, that's actually a real that's famous a genuine person. person yeah. And then Brown was just the second name I came up with. Fair enough, okay. Better than like Chapel, which is my own. <laughs> <laughs> For a professional storyteller, sometimes your imagination. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I was struggling, okay. Aww. Hey. Go on. 
Yeah, it says that Kevin Brown has had his memories wiped of uh, Tyron. I didn't make up a surname for him. Um, Tyron Red. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On a date which was uh, actually two nights ago. Okay. Which doesn't make sense because he actually met, only met Kevin last night. Mm-hmm. So how could he have, have had his memory wiped of him already? This isn't... So, what's going on? And there's a company name on it, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, Lacuna Inc. Okay. Which is what you told me earlier. And so he tracks down his company, works out works out where they are, and he goes there. And he opens the door, and, well, uh, the person who answers the door is Denzel Washington. <gasps> is, he, uh, is he... Playing Doug Carlin from uh, Deja Vu. Oh, really? Oh, wow, multiple crossovers. I mean... Yes, and so uh, Tron's asking, like, what what is this? What... Who who is this Kevin? I've only met him yesterday. I don't I don't understand. And Doug Collins just throwing off every question, not answering anything properly. Mm-hmm. Just being a proper politician, I would okay. say. Just not answering anything. Um, and Torrance is getting madder and madder by this. It's really frustrating. Until eventually he actually just, he, he gets a bit violent. He breaks down the door, happens to be a storeroom. Mm-hmm. And he sees loads of boxes in there. There's a crate. One of the ones that's quite near the front has his name on it. Okay. Has... Tyron Red, I guess. Um, you, you, you sure you don't want to reconsider that name? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to ignore the red now. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, at that point, building security managed to take him down and they put him in an interrogation room and he's handcuffed at a table so he can't get out. Lacuna Inc. has an interrogation room? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay, just asking. Just just saying. Maybe they've improved since... Since whenever? Since 2004? Okay. Yeah. Improved as in added an interrogation room. Maybe they <laughs> to got... their medical facility. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. And so, yeah, then Doug comes in and he starts explaining stuff. So does Doug work at Lacuna then? Yes. Is he like our Tom... I can't forget his name. I can't say Tom Hiddleston. Tom Wilkinson mm. substitute. Um, yeah, let's say so. So are Tom Wilkinson, Elijah Wood and um, Mark Ruffalo in this film? Uh, no, they are not. Okay, so this um, is another branch of Lacuna Inc., essentially. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, fine. So, he then starts explaining that uh, he actually runs a company, which is the umbrella company of Lacuna Inc. Okay. and Deja Vu Incorporated, or whatever that one was. Deja Vu Incorporated. I don't know what I called it. What, did I call it anything? I don't remember. So, oh, so this is the time travel thing? Yeah. Okay, right, cool. So, to go back to our Deja Vu episode, people, if you want some context for this. It's a forgettable Denzel Washington action film, but actually we found pretty funny, so yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good one. Yeah, um, yeah and so in uh, in that one, there, there's, of course, the Deja Vu app where mm-hmm. Denzel Washington can look back in time through his iPhone camera. Yeah. And so now uh, Denzel is explaining that he he runs a company which is actually a secret organization called Big Daddy. Okay. <laughs> is, is there a reason for that name? Um, no, it's just going to be a running company now uh, through some of my stories. Big Daddy, uh, Big Daddy Inc. Okay. And hold Big Daddy Corp. Big Daddy Corp. Okay. Mm. There's um, so many layers I could peel away from this. I can't <laughs> wait for future episodes. Um, and so Big Daddy Corp is this umbrella company that... Say it again. That, that, <laughs> that runs Lacuna Inc. It runs Deja Vu Inc. What they are is they're a secret organization, a spy organization, mm-hmm. that take these very experimental, futuristic technologies and use them in, in spy missions. Chiron and Kevin were recruited as spies. Okay. And we then see a few flashbacks. We see stuff from the original film of their relationship building. Um, we see how it goes on from beyond where Moonlight finished, where 
they're trying to make the relationship work, but neither of them have enough money. Kevin wants to form more money so he can see his, his child more. Tyron's not happy with being a drug dealer. He, want, he wants something else. They come across this. It's a good way to make money. Um, and so they do that. Um, so it's almost like medical testing kind of thing. Getting paid for, Pretty much, yeah. yeah okay. And Denzel explains that it's very well paid, mm-hmm. but at the end of each mission, memories need to be wiped. Yeah. Because security. Okay. So we can't actually enclose any, any of the details of the mission. Mm-hmm. Which saves me from having to write that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe another time. Okay. Maybe we'll see these characters again. Okay, yeah, let's keep them popping up. Yeah, yeah. We, like, we like a crossover. So. Yeah, definitely. And he says that it was actually an accident that he uh, wiped their entire memories of each other. Well, okay. They only meant to wipe just the mission memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tyrone's like, okay, well, can I have my memories back somehow? <laughs> and Doug's like, oh yeah, sure, let's get them out of the archive. <laughs> Simple as that, really. And uh, then Tron starts asking, well, what about the payment? What, what, what have I done even? And he says, like, I can't tell you what you've done, but I can tell you how you can get paid. Yeah. Play the lottery. We got the lottery rigged. Oh, okay. And that's pretty much where I finished. Um, I did have a slightly better ending, but I forgot. So I apologize. What, what do you mean? You f- when did you forget your better ending? Oh, I started going off my script there. Oh, okay. You went over my... Okay. Yeah. yeah. What's the lottery connection? Was that in the... Was he playing with No, the not at all. Um, the way that they earn money from this spy organization, because remember, they can't remember anything. So okay. they have to... Like, well, how could... Like, where did all this money come from? I don't I don't remember earning this money. Oh, I see. So they would then buy a lottery ticket and then be like, oh, happy days. I've won the lottery. Yeah. Oh, that's um, interesting. Okay. Big Daddy Corp can... Uh, <laughs> uh, Big Daddy Corp can actually influence... Uh, their minds when they wipe their memories okay. to say play the lottery okay oh, that's interesting so so we don't know what kind of missions are, are, they, are, they, are they yeah we have secret, no idea what the mission was service kind of stuff yeah could be could be anything okay okay could be good could be evil could be evil who knows True. well yeah because denzel washington in, in your sequel to deja vu spoiler alert for that episode mm-hmm. he turned out to be a bit of a prick so mm-hmm. maybe they planted that bar yeah oh maybe maybe yeah okay ah well, that didn't go anywhere near where I expected it to go at all. It was interesting. No, it did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. Moonlight. Yeah, I never would have thought to have crossed those. Now that you mention it, they do have some similarities, in, I guess, in the way they're shot and they're being about memory and stuff. Like, mm. so. Yeah, that's good. I'm really so, glad that you watched Moonlight again as well and that you enjoyed it more the second time around. Yeah. yeah. So, Eternal Moonlight, The Spotless Mind. That, okay. was, that was that. Okay. As always, not my best. No, it, <laughs> it was definitely one of your most interesting. It just made me piece it out a little bit at the end there. But yeah, <laughs> maybe. How uh, well. <laughs> So, does that make it your choice next week, then? It is, yes. Uh, before that, though, we have a... Just the one this week. We do have a listener submission for uh, okay, yeah. So, Blokebusters podcast, who've given us ideas before. So, they had an idea that we do a prequel slash sequel to Eternal Sunshine, in which it is revealed that the machine that they're using at Lacuna Inc. is a mm-hmm. prototype for the equipment that they're using in Inception. Ah, oh, that makes a lot of sense. It does. It's all about memory and dreams and, you know... Like, oh, God, now I wish that I'd crossed over Inception with Big Daddy Cup. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be other times, I'm sure. I, I, I would really like Big Daddy Corp to be a f- frequent player in your little sp- storytelling universe. Well, that's my plan. Good, good, good. Uh, yeah, he also said that it'd be bonus points if we could work in a younger Michael Caine's first day on the job. But it has to be, he wouldn't be that much younger because Michael Caine was like 80 in 2004. So yeah. Well, 70 maybe, I don't yeah. know. But yeah, so that was just the one that week. But if you have any other ideas for Eternal Sunshine, like sequel ideas, prequels, spin-offs, anything you like, or thoughts on our ideas, please let us know. We're on, uh, we are beyondtheboxset.com. We're also on Twitter and Facebook at Beyond the Box Set. And our email is beyondtheboxset at gmail.com. So let us know and we'll give you a shout out on a future episode. Yeah. We've also recently joined the Brit Pod scene 
network which is a network of british podcasts of, mm-hmm. of all kinds of colors and flavors it's got film it's got tv it's got science it's got chat comedy mm-hmm. it's really good if you, if you like british podcasts if you like british accents look them up it's at brit pod scene and yeah we'll be part of that hopefully we'll get a few more listeners so yeah thank you for letting us be part of that we'll bring more news on that as we have it yeah and yeah so yeah next week it's my my choice okay what have you got for me okay you look so you look tense you look nervous i'm scared no, actually you know what We've been on a really good, a nice little one at the minute of really high quality films. We have actually. And I've decided oh, to, no, don't no, take it down enough. No, no, I've decided. To, I was going to say I've decided to keep with the theme. Oh, okay, yeah. great. Don't get me wrong. There's some tra- there's some good old trash in the in the back pocket coming. But this week I thought I'd choose another film that I actually think is really good. Okay. And I'm, I think you'll like it. It's called Sideways. Ah, uh, I've seen that. You have seen I it. Have I have seen it. Do you like it? Uh, I remember liking it. Oh, good. I didn't think you'd have seen it. I don't it, remember much about it. No, okay, well, good. Well, I think I've seen it twice, actually. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised. I thought it was like a bit before your time. Well, sorry. Okay. Right. Well, no, no, that's good. Well, fair enough. Well, I mean, at least that means that you probably did like it if you've seen it twice. Paul Giamatti, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, good. one of the reasons I chose this is that having. Ex- you surprised me. I really didn't think you'd have seen it. Yeah. But it's two actors that I thought. You were, that you will appreciate seeing because they're in film. I think they're both in a lot of films that you have seen and liked. Yeah, both, yeah. I feel like they're both quite active in kind of sci-fi comic book. Who's the second actor? Oh, uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Who, who? And he was in Spider-Man. He played the Sandman. How did he? He did, didn't he? I'm sure he's done other things as well. Yeah. And then Paul Giamatti did in loads of stuff. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, I thought from an actor's perspective you'd enjoy it. So. Well, you've seen it, great. Uh, so that's my choice. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Oh, I'm already thinking about it. I like it. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, that's going to be uh, next week, isn't it? Okay. And I'm going to have some good old trash for the next time after that. It's my pick after that, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool, cool. Well, uh, please tune in uh, next week. We'll be on everywhere. iTunes, Stitcher, and our website. So that's Beyond the Box Set on all of those. Mm-hmm. Our website is beyondtheboxset.com. Please give us a share and a subscribe. And obviously, we'd love a review. Yes. Five stars or more, please. Can you give more than five stars? Nope. No. Well, then I guess... There's the limit. Limited options. (laughs) Um, Yeah, great. See you all next week for Sideways. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.